He scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila in the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by all Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, we are underway on this Tuesday, June 13th. Flames Talk coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots to get into this hour. Wes Gilbertson will join us a little bit later on this hour. Lots to dive into on the Flames, their coaching hire, what it means going forward, and a whole lot more. Hopefully your Tuesday is going along very nicely, but we kick off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler with inventory shortages across the city. It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SelfTrailChrysler.com. And Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. And I guess, Frank, let's let's just start with the news of yesterday in this city. Ryan Huska introduced as the Calgary Flames' new head coach, 24th in franchise history. I'm just curious as to your vantage point and if you can walk us through from your perspective how the Flames got to this point with their announcement yesterday. Well, I think there's no doubt that the Calgary Flames had a, a wealth of internal candidates to pick from. And I think that was really important, especially as I mentioned a couple weeks ago in a year in which the Flames really weren't going to be spending huge money on the coaching position, knowing that they have to pay Daryl Sutter $4 million a year. This was like the perfect timing to have that happen. And so I think the biggest thing that I think of with Ryan Huska, according to people that know him well and the homework that I've done on him is how dialed in he is with his approach. His attention to detail is second to none. You're not going to outwork Ryan Huska. I think such an, you know, critically important, you know, facet of your game. He's, he's had success obviously at the junior level and has really spent a long time with this team and, and has some familiarity with this team to be able to come in and put his own stamp on it. I think going from assistant coach to head coach, there's always that question of whether, you know, how that transition is made and what it feels like. And it was always going to feel different with Daryl Sutter no longer being in place. I just think the one question mark I have and probably Flames fans have in the back of their mind is, so what does this mean for Mitch Love? And what does this mean for Mitch Love from what you understand? Well, we heard Craig Conroy say on Monday that Mitch Love is going to be one of the people interviewed for an assistant coaching position. Uh, I think they also have interest in another one of the um, finalists, so to speak, for the head coaching job to see if they can essentially do the same thing that they did with Dave Nonis, a finalist for the GM job. They bring him in as an associate GM and senior vice president et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just, if I were to bet based on what I've heard and the speculation that's been out there, um, I have a hard time seeing a path forward for Mitch Love still in the Calgary organization next season. And I say that knowing that he's under contract, but also knowing that, you know, this same sort of feeling I think permeated and was in the same spot um, you know, even probably at times during the GM search, 
if I haven't shown you that I've done enough and you decide to not go with me after being the two-time AHL coach of the year, like what more do I have to prove in this organization to get a shot? And I think the goal for Miss Love is to be working somewhere in the NHL next season. So I, I think it's difficult to, you know, and I want to be careful to not paint this as a picture of, you know, sour grapes or he's, he's mad that he didn't get the job. It's not anything like that. It's just, you didn't see me as worthy now and that's okay. But why should I then continue to stay here and work under you for what, like what's the end game in that? Well, and, and I do wonder from Mitch's standpoint and look, I mean, it, a, a lot of it comes down to what's open in the NHL and, and what jobs could open up. But I do wonder if he tries to chase down a spot on an NHL bench, maybe with an established head coach and, and use that as, as kind of the next stepping stone to being a head coach in this league. I'm really curious if, if that's one of the routes that he decides to, to seek out and, and sees if there is an opportunity to maybe tutor under a guy who has a established NHL resume. I think that's the playbook. Get, see if you can land somewhere as an NHL assistant. And by the way, like not for nothing to draw this connection. And I don't know if it's a real possibility or not, but Brad tree living in the Toronto Maple Leafs just happened to have an assistant coach spot open on their bench after Spence, Spencer Carberry left to go coach the Washington Capitals. So I wonder if someone that obviously knows Mitch Love pretty well and might be a believer in in what he has uh, in his arsenal, that maybe that's a potential landing spot. But there's always, especially with the number of coaching changes that we've had in this offseason in particular, you've got the Rangers, the Capitals, the Blue Jackets, Ducks, uh, Nashville Predators. We're still waiting on what exactly happens with Sheldon Keefe and his staff and then DJ Smith and the Ottawa Senators after the ownership change, that's a lot of change. And that's going to be a lot of assistant coaches that are moving around that would open up the possibility and potential for someone like Mitch Love to latch on somewhere if he's interested. Want to double back to something you said about what the Flames are potentially looking at as an assistant. So could be looking at one of the guys that was in the search to to join Ryan Huska's staff. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, that's my understanding is, you know, obviously with, with Huska being promoted, they have an opening or a couple openings now. Uh, I, I don't think Kirk Muller's coming back. Yep. Um, I think that's been confirmed. Um, and so they've got to fill out their staff. And so I think, uh, at least one of the interviewees that they had been in touch with, uh, was really impressive. My, my money would be on Alex Tangay, but I also don't know what the thought process is with Mark Savard. Uh, at some point is Travis green ready to jump back in as an assistant? Would he be willing to do that? Or does he only see himself as a head coach? Those are some of the guys that the the Flames had talked to, so I would assume it's one of those pieces, and I would imagine that Tangay is certainly someone that has generated some interest just based on you know the relationship with Jerome McGinley, et cetera. Okay. 
Uh, we're chatting with Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, and just uh, just from a player personnel standpoint, you know, we we, we got I, there. There were some questions asked about guys like Elias Lindholm and uh, Jonathan Huberdo during Monday's news conference to GM Craig Conroy. I know Noah Hannafin's name is out there quite a bit right now. Are you hearing anything specifically on some player personnel moves or issues with the Flames right now? Things that we might hear a little bit more of as we move towards the draft later this month? Yeah, I think everyone's sort of hovering at the moment on what happens with Elias Lindholm. Um, There's a reason why Ryan Huska, one of his first calls that he made when he was on the day he was introduced was to Elias Lindholm to, to really begin that conversation and to, it's essentially a pitch process. And I, I hate the way that that sounds for a player that's under contract Um, but that's the reality of today's NHL is that things happen fast for one and two, you know, players have a lot of control and leverage in their situation that as much as the flames, I believe want to re-sign Elias Lindholm, there also is the reality of this is an organization with some scar tissue from the Johnny Gaudreau situation. You've heard um, Craig Conroy address it. Uh, asset management that this is something wants to make sure they don't fall into, which is letting a player walk um, and not get anything for him. So I think the big three of Hannafin, Lindholm and Toffoli entering the final years of their deals. I just, I have a hard time envisioning a world in which those players are not signed to extensions and then are on the ice for right. the Calgary flames in, in October. So that means given where we are in the calendar and that there's, you know, a really significant trading window that's open from now based on July 1st, that the flames have some tough decisions to make. And the truth is it comes down to what Lindholm and um, specifically Hannafin say. I think a lot of people believe that Toffoli is more open um, and that, you know, certainly someone like a Michael Backlund, for instance, would be more open, but you need to get hers. Craig Conroy said it from the first day he stepped on the do not want to be a flame. That's the answer looking for, and it's up to those guys really to determine what happens next. So lots to keep an eye on with the Flames as we move towards the NHL draft later on this month in Nashville. Let's move to a couple of other notes around the NHL. First of all, and, and, and this could very well be related to some coaching vacancies, we have an owner for the Ottawa Senators. That's all been set. Can you give us a little bit more on what we know about the new ownership group taking over in Ottawa? Well, Michael Anlauer has been, has like quite literally had a seat at the NHL table for 14 years now since he bought in as a minority partner of the Montreal Canadiens. Grew up a huge Habs fan, self-made man, um, you know, really knocked it out of the park business-wise. Is a huge hockey guy, plays goalie in his beer league, um, like just a true dyed-in-the-wool hockey guy that was frankly dying for an opportunity to um, get a seat at the table as a majority owner. And so now he has that opportunity with the Sens. I personally believe that he was the 
number one choice, the preferred choice of the National Hockey League because of that familiarity, because of the comfort and predictability that comes with knowing who you're doing business with. Um, and also someone that they believe can steward this franchise, you know, in the right direction at what's a really big purchase price this is a record deal for the NHL in terms of a franchise valuation, $950 million us is the highest price tag ever attached to an NHL franchise in, in a transaction. And so it's a momentous day, I think for the league, also for the Sens to be able to begin to make some changes. We know that an arena deal needs to be on the horizon. They've got to get that team back, you know, playing downtown. And we'll see what happens to revenue and the business side from there. But this team on the ice, at least currently, is positioned, you know, really arguably among the strongest of the seven Canadian teams to say, which team has the best chance to win the Stanley Cup over the next five years? I'd have a real hard time putting the Sens anywhere lower than second. Any feel as to if there would be changes or could be changes, whether it be front office or coaching staff? I know there's been a lot of talk about DJ Smith's future, even about Pierre Dorian, the GM. Any, any understanding or any feel as to whether or not we might see something there? Well, first off, just to back up a step, I, there's a procedural hurdle that needs to take, you know, needs to be cleared. Um, this, think of it, Pat, like buying a house. Like you enter into an agreement of sale, and then it takes 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is, to actually close the deal. That's the part that they reached today is the agreement in principle. It's gone on so long that I would hope that they have a lot of their T's crossed and I's dotted, but still. Um, it's also going to require formal board of governors okay. approval, knowing that they know him and he's actually been a governor already. Like I've been going to board of governors meetings for years. He, Michael Anlauer is one of the attendees every time for the Montreal Canadiens. So they know him. It's going to be a rubber stamp. It's just a matter of when, what's the date that the operational, essentially what's the date that the keys are handed over. If we're going to continue with the house motif, um, to Michael and Lauer to then begin to make and implement the changes that he wants to. That said, my understanding is the plan is to make a change at the general manager position. I think they've been well linked and connected to Steve Steos, who of course, not just as GM, but also as business partner had a ton of success winning a championship with uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs and the OHL together uh, I don't know if, if that's as president, if it's as GM, whatever it may be. It seems like a change is coming on that front, but also not guaranteed. But the speculation out there behind the scenes was that if and Lauer won, that DJ Smith may be safe. So we'll see what ultimately comes to pass. But I, I guess at least if you're working in the Ottawa Senators organization, you at least maybe have some kind of comfort or clarity knowing that whatever it is, Hopefully it happens soon. Okay. Uh, we're chatting with Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. Uh, Peter Laviolette was linked to the New York Rangers right from the get-go, and then he wasn't, and then it took a long time, and now he's officially the head coach of the New York Rangers. What took so long? It's a good question. I don't know if the Rangers were hoping to wait and see if someone else would shake free. I don't know if maybe Chris Drury is just the most deliberate man on the planet. 
But Peter Laviolette has been a free agent for two months since he walked from the Washington Capitals and they weren't going to renew him. Um, definitely not the most out-of-the-box hire, but I'd say probably the safest hire for the Rangers. And consider where this team is at. First off, you've got unique pressure from ownership. James Dolan is perhaps the most mercurial owner in the league. And you have a team that got to the conference final two years ago that then took a step back and lost in the first round this year. They've got a lot of the pieces already. The best goalie of his generation in Igor Shesterkin and a Norris Trophy winner in Adam Fox and some really nice pieces on the back end. Plus, you've got a team loaded at forward with talented players. The Rangers are right there and ready to go. And now they've hired a coach in Laviolette who's taken three different teams to the Stanley Cup final uh, and won once. I've seen the work that he can do turning around a franchise firsthand. I've seen it in short order. Took over the Flyers when I was covering that team midseason. Got them to the Stanley Cup final as a seven seed. The things that he does are not by accident. His success as the winningest American-born coach is not by accident. And, oh, by the way, he happened to play the only games of his NHL career with the New York Rangers. So, just seems to be a nice symbiotic, you know, fit. I'm just kind of left wondering where you are. Why did it take so long? Yeah. Blue Jackets have been busy. They've acquired a pair of defensemen over the last week or so. Ivan Provorov, now Damon Severson. Is Yarmo Kekalainen done as GM of the Blue Jackets? Like, is he still looking to add here as we move through this offseason? Yeah, not close to done, I would say, Hungry and aggressive to add. Um, the next position to to go through, first off, they, they now have a surplus on D as far as I'm concerned. When you look at the bottom of their lineup, by the way, with um, David Yurichek and Denton Matichuk coming, like these are two really, really talented defensemen uh, to go with Provorov and Wierenski and um, you know, they're going to be uniquely positioned now with Severson. I, I personally think what the Blue Jackets are building right now is very reminiscent of what the Carolina Hurricanes looked like, where they have that depth sort of one to six. You know, you've got good Branson floating somewhere there in the bottom pair, which I think is, you know, contract aside is a nice piece to have. Uh, Nick Blankenberg is a quality seven in this league. Uh, they've got Peak, who's still a couple years left at 2.75. He's on my trade targets board because mm-hmm. of that surplus. And they still like Jake Bean, of course, uh, son of uh, CSEC uh, CEO John Bean, uh, someone that's a really, you know, had a tough year last year with his injury, but I think the Blue Jackets are pretty high on him and would like to see him uh, bounce back in a big way to create a numbers game for them. So the next position on Yarmo Kekalainen's list is center that to me is really what's holding this team up from being a a playoff team they have struggled to address the position it's funny but a Pierre-Luc Dubois would look kind of nice at this point (laughs) yeah uh they're obviously uh Pat they're not getting married again uh so you can cross that one off the list but um you know, Boone Jenner is a quality player he's just not a number one center in this league and so if they could find someone somewhere uh, to fill that void and also maybe draft a future franchise center, then they'd be in pretty darn good shape. 
What's your feel on Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final? I have a sneaky feeling that the Panthers are going to win. Um, I have no logic or reason to base that on. There feels like they're basically playing with one hand tied behind their back. Uh, Matthew Kachuk is not the only player that's banged up and injured. We know that. And there are questions as to whether or not Kachuk will play in game five. I also just think that there's something to the idea of having the Stanley cup in the building being polished that sometimes just throws some teams off that maybe, you know, when you look at the last number of years that the cup has been handed out, there's a reason why most teams have clinched on the road. The lightning are really the only one in the last number of years to do it at home and that was, of course, the second time around, not during the bubble, that for whatever reason makes clinching the cup on the road easier or more likely. So um, we'll see. The Golden Knights have really barely faltered at any point, and so no real reason to suspect that now other than that maybe your your knees start to shake a little bit. You start to quiver a little bit, hold the hand, hold the stick a little bit more tightly knowing what's on the other end of sealing the deal immortality yeah appreciate the time as always frank great stuff we'll do it again next week hey looking forward to it pat there's frank saravalli he's our daily face-off nhl insider he joins us every tuesday on flames talk lots there lots to get into uh whether it be on the flames coaching side of things or some of the other big stories going on around the league so appreciate the time as always from frank and frank saravalli joins us every tuesday and he's brought to you by our friends at south trail chrysler with inventory shortages across the city it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash visit southtrailchrysler.com Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues on a Tuesday. Steinberg and now Wes Gilbertson joins us. Thanks to Frank Saravalli for joining us a little bit earlier. Wes with us for the first time this week. Hi, buddy. What's going on? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. In full disclosure, uh, I saw the picture that Wes tweeted out about where he's doing the show from. From PEI. Wes is with us. Look at that commitment. That's that's some real Flames Talk commitment right there. I appreciate it. And I'll it. tell you right now, it is not just PEI. It is perfect patio weather in Charlottetown, one of my favorite cities anywhere. So my commitment is unquestionable today. I'm I'm very although you're only doing an hour. Like you could have done two. Maybe we could have extended it. You could have done three or four. You're only doing Pat, an hour. So Pat. I believe I just said my commitment is unquestionable today. <laughs> that is true. You did say that. So. <laughs> um, hey, I, b- before we dive into to some different talking points surrounding Ryan Huska and him now being the new head coach of the Flames, I'm just anything that really jumped out to you from yesterday, from Monday's news conference, anything that, that you took away that you're like, yeah, that, that's something that, that really is stuck with me. Well, and, and this is kind of a blanket statement to start, but I, I was on a plane actually to, to Charlottetown, so I didn't see the press conference live. 
I watched it last night from start to finish. I listened to your exclusives with both Craig and Ryan, which were great, by the way. And and the biggest thing for me was just like you could feel the positivity. You could really sense the sort of energy that that exists between Ryan and Craig and, and that they bring to the room. And I thought that was really evident yesterday. And I don't think I expected any different, but as I, I was watching it and, and sort of knowing some of the things that had been said already, as I was watching it, it was really noticeable to me. Like, whoa, this is, you know, this is is feels like a real fresh start. I know that these are guys who've been around, but that kind of hit me over the head yesterday. And then when you get into some of the specific things that were said, uh, and, and there was a ton of stuff to chew on yesterday, but, you know, one comment that really jumped out to me was Ryan Huska, the new coach of the Flames, talking about understanding the value of the puck. And I've been thinking a lot about that today and, and what that might, I guess, what, what it might mean for how the Flames are going to play moving forward. Does that mean a little less dump and chase does it <clears throat> excuse me does it mean a lot less you know throwing shots from long range whatever it may be that that was something that <clears throat> excuse me really stuck me you, you uh mute yourself i'll uh, i'll jump in while you uh while you clear that up i've been there before um and i i do i concur like the one of the things that i really I really appreciated in the the one of the things that that really jumped out at me was kind of just the overall and and look I know that vibes and and um, good things happening to good people those things don't necessarily translate to wins on the ice they don't translate to playoff appearances necessarily they don't translate to to winning championships but on that day it was just a it was a really positive day and there were a lot of smiles I really feel Wes like. Craig Conroy, look, I, I from what I understand, Ryan Huska was was Craig Conroy's guy going into the interview process for him to become general manager. So this was the guy that Conroy wanted from the get-go. So for him to seal that and for him to go through the process of speaking to 15 people and have the four finalists and and still go, yes, Ryan Huska through all this is my guy, I think he was really proud of, of being able to get his guy. And you could tell just um, the minute that Ryan sat down and started talking, just the big smile on his face, like, yeah, you know, it, it again, we don't know what this is going to turn out like, and we don't know how it's going to be when the puck drops for real come October, but it's it's cool to see people climb the mountain, climb the ladder, and eventually get to what their ultimate goal was. So I, I'm with you. There was a ton of positivity there on Monday. Yeah, and, and you hear so much about Ryan Huska's preparation, <clears throat> and I think that's going to be a, a theme we hear about over and over and over, and and you could tell he was prepared for yesterday. He was prepared. I don't think there was a question that caught him off guard. I, I don't, you know, you hear about the PowerPoint presentation that he made to Craig Conroy. Like he has thought every angle of this through already. And I'm really curious how that's going to play out. And, and don't get me wrong. There could be some bad news days around the Saddledome, depending on how this trends with Elias Lindholm. You know, anytime you're possibly looking at having to trade away a number one center or a top four defenseman, it's not going to be all roses every day at the Saddledome, depending on how some of this plays out. But yesterday was a day that 
you could feel the positivity and you could see why each of these guys, why Craig and why Ryan Huska were so impressive in their interviews and why they have the faith of, of Flames ownership and, and the brass of the saddle dome that, hey, let's see where these guys can take us. One of the things that is really interesting now is the whole idea of, okay, he's an assistant coach going from being in that spot, and now he's going to be asked to be a head coach on the same team. And I know there are a lot of Flames fans who are skeptical about that right now. And and I understand. Like, I, I, I do understand that there, especially in this organization, Wes, there have been plenty of times when the Flames have done this, whether it be Jim Playfair or Jeff Ward or other instances where being promoted from assistant to head coach and doing that internal coaching hire hasn't worked out very well. And the most recent was Jeff Ward. And, and let's let's be honest, that was a real disaster in those 26 games he coached in a, in a very weird season. But still, it, it was not the right fit. And they went out and they got right. uh, Daryl Sutter, uh, Sutter to try to fix things. But everyone that I've spoken to and every player that I had spoken to going back to April and before any of these moves were made, it's just... I know how well-respected Huska is by that team. I know that there is a lot. Like, I know that it's more than just, hey, there's the nice guy that we can go to when Daryl was being a little bit more demanding or whatever the case may be. I just know he's he's really well-respected. I wanted to play these two, these two pieces of audio because I, I think, and this is just my opinion, and it could turn out to be completely wrong. We'll wait and see. But... It feels like Huska's the type of guy that is able to any of the or, or or the challenges, some of the challenges go along with that internal hire and maybe not garnering the respect or not wielding the, the authority that you'd need a head coach to wield in that spot due to the circumstances. I think he's the type of guy that can maybe buck that trend. And Craig Conroy talked a little bit about uh, about that when he joined us exclusively on Monday. And then I got a follow-up piece of audio I want to play for you after that. It's funny because when I first we first interviewed him, the one thing they said he was too hard at the beginning in the Western Hockey League. He had to tone that down. I was like, really? I, I, I didn't see that, you know. But then to see him with our American League team, the way he managed the day-to-day, the way he – I mean – the best person to ask so would be Rasmus Anderson. He was on Rasmus. It was not a fun year that first year for Rasmus, and he'd probably tell you. I know if when you get him on Pat when he gets back, if you, he said it. I I thought he were, they were going to kill each other. I mean, huh. that's what it was like. But what he did the next year when Rasmus came back, he was like, oh, he goes now I'm doing everything Ryan was wanting me to do. And now I'm getting a chance to go play in the NHL. I'm having an unbelievable year down here. And he could see the, how the success was coming. And then he appreciated it. And he'd probably tell you that. He'd probably tell you I didn't like that first year at all. I didn't like him at all, you know, because it wasn't always friendly. But his job was to get Rasmus for, ready for the NHL. And that's what he did with each player. And each player is different. Rasmus can, you know, he needs to be pushed hard. He needed that. He needed to be stayed on every day. And I think Ryan understood that. And then other guys that didn't, you know, you'd, Shillington needed a different way. He He's such a smart 
person as far as reading the room, figuring out what buttons to push on each guy, and then how to have success. I mean, obviously, like I said, he wanted to win down there at times, but we would say, hey, we need to play you know, X, Y, Z, we need to put them in big draws in the defensive zone because that's what we see him doing moving forward. And, and he would do that. I know at times he was probably like, Oh, you know, I don't want to do that, but, yeah. but that was part of the job, you know, but he was willing to do it. He was open to do it. And, uh, and then when he came up here, you know, to move and work with the defense and work, uh, even though he's a forward and work with the PK, it was it was pretty impressive. So that was Craig Conroy and that Rasmus Anderson story. So Craig, as you heard, Connie's like, we'll talk to him, Pat. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll do just that. And uh, so I spoke to, to Rasmus a little earlier on this Monday, um, and uh, that chat is uh, available for you right now on your Flames Talk podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. And I asked him about just that, and, and uh, I don't think Connie was exaggerating in any way, shape, or form. Looking back at it, I'm really happy I had that year. And I'm really happy that, you know, Husk was on me every day. Every single day. But, you know, I was I was not in my best shape. I needed to get better. I needed to get lose a few uh, pounds. And, I, you know, I was a little bit lazy coming from juniors and um, that kind of stuff. And, and Husk was on me from the first day to the last day in Stockton. And that's what I needed at, at that time. Sure, at times I, you know, I hated him. He probably hated me too. <laughs> and... Um, but that's how you grow. And then, you know, I went home, I did the worst that summer and I came back in, you know, better shape and uh, a better player. And then the next year, you know, there was no issues at all. All he tried to do was help me to get to that next step. And um, he really gives you that confidence to play. And uh, but at the same time, he holds you accountable um, to play a certain way. And, um, you know, he has to feel, um, you know, me and him, we joke about it sometimes uh, that I call it the green light. Just give me the green light, and uh, I'll go. And um, and he'll laugh. And uh, then a few times towards the end of the year, when we needed a win, he gave me the green light. And uh, so it was kind of funny. But um, you know, he's uh, without that first year in Stockton, I, you know, I would probably be still lazy and still a little bit fat. <laughs> So apparently Conroy was not exaggerating. We <laughs> told that story because because Raz backed up every single part there, and then a little bit more. Yeah, it sounds like he was on on the path to becoming a sports reporter. <laughs> it does. <laughs> that you know that's such fascinating stuff. I I scribbled down as I was listening yesterday. I was scribbling notes and kind of that entire chunk. Uh, of Conroy that you played was so fascinating. I took note of it yesterday. I think the success in Stockton and before that in Adirondack, obviously, you know, it speaks well when you help get a bunch of guys to the NHL. But these were not, you know, guys who were on the fast track necessarily. And I, I think that's important to recognize. Like, Rasmus Anderson, Oliver Shillington, Andrew Mangiapane. These were not can't-miss guys for a variety of reasons. Garnet Hathaway. And, and I think that right there tells you a lot about Ryan Huska, about his ability to push the right buttons and help guys as individuals. I, I just think it speaks volumes to look and say, you know, there would have been good reason for the farm club coach not to play the the late round pick at forward. There would have been good reason to 
you know, get frustrated with some of the mistakes Oliver Shillington made earlier in his career and, and not give up on him, but go away from playing that player. Like the fact that he got those guys to the level that they're at, I think speaks volumes about him right there. Well, and, and the other thing is that I, I just, I think it really pushes back a little bit on the whole idea of, well, you know, he's going to too soft to touch and, and he's not going to be able to, you know, he's not, he's not going to be able to demand, be demanding. He's not going to be able to, to get guys to get on track when they're off of it. Like it to, you know, you're going too much of a pendulum swing is I think the term Jeff Merrick used on his show Monday, too much of a pendulum swing from that, that Daryl Sutter old school approach to, to Ryan Huska. And, and I, I just, I, I don't know if I see it quite that way. Yes, a softer touch than Daryl and and a def, definitely a different approach than Daryl Sutter had, but that doesn't mean that it's just going to be a pushover, laid-back approach either. Well, and for me, that that's probably the biggest reason for optimism that the the move from assistant coach to head coach can work is that this isn't, you know, a lot of times when the assistant coach is promoted, what you hear is, you know, they have trouble maybe establishing their message. They have trouble sort of separating themselves from the old coach. The players wanted the old coach gone. That's what we know. And I don't think that they're going to look at Ryan Huska as, you know, one of the, one of the right hand men for Daryl Sutter. I do think that there was a pretty good, separation between head coach and the message not that not that the assistants weren't on the same page but the delivery and the communication style I think was so much different that I I think that's a reason for optimism that he can make that transition that that has proven tricky I'm not sure that you know Jeff Ward was maybe different enough in some ways from Bill Peters for example I I you know, I, I'm not sure that Jim Playfair was different enough in some ways from, from Daryl Sutter. And, and so I don't think that's the case with Ryan and, and Daryl. I, I think they're so different that I think it can work for that reason. And I, I wanted to add this. I have a, I have a feature coming out tomorrow where I, I've chatted with some people who have played for Ryan Husko over the years or coached with him over the years and just some, you know, in some insights from outside the Flames organization. And I had an interesting chat today, actually, with Colin Long, who was the captain of the Kelowna Rockets when they won the championship in 2009. And he talked about that they were down 2 nothing in the second round. And he said, as captain, he hadn't been playing great. And he said to me, you know, I had a, a big one-on-one meeting with Husk. And then he starts laughing and says, I don't know how much of it I could repeat, but <laughs> that was a turning point for me in the entire playoffs. And, you know, I started to play better and a bunch of guys started to play better and we went and won a championship and, and he's not taking credit for being the guy who won them the title, but you know, he, he used that as an example of exactly what you're talking about. This is not a guy who can't be hard. This is not a guy who can't be demanding something that I've heard going through the process of talking to different people is there's not a lot of gray area with him. You're going to know exactly what the expectation is. And so I know that there's always this desire to, you're either a hard ass coach or you're a player's coach. Like those are sort of the two buckets that we've created and, and every guy has to fit in one. It just doesn't work that way anymore. And I think 
from what I've been hearing over the past few days, those who've been in the locker room with Ryan Huskell will tell you he he can be difficult. He can challenge guys. He can hold guys accountable when that's what it calls for. Um, and just before we uh, just before we wrap up with you, um, I am I am really curious what this coaching staff is going to look like now. Uh, Ryan Husk is the head coach. We believe Kirk Muller is going to be moving on. Uh, so that would leave two assistant roles open. We don't know about the status of either Kale McLean or Jason LaBarbera. They're also on expiring contracts, and, and they will be in the mix. And, and there's no doubt that those guys will be part of, the, um, part of the conversation when it comes to filling out this coaching staff. But I guess a couple of things that I'm really interested in, and number one is the Mitch Love conversation and whether or not we see Mitch Love remain with the organization. Does he remain as the head coach of the Wranglers? Is he in the mix and or promoted or given that opportunity with the Flames at the NHL level? Or does he look at other options around the NHL? He has a year left on his contract so he is still under control by the flames um I'm, I'm really curious what things look like next year for the two-time american league coach of the year yeah i i'm really curious about it too and, I, and i'll be perfectly honest with you if i was mitch love i'd be a little bit leery of the way i've been represented in the last day and a half and by that i just mean and i, I don't know where it's coming from but you know, when we find out Ryan Huska's getting the job and, and, you know, one of the first things that sort of pops up is, oh, well, Mitch Love's going to look around and, you know, he probably walk down now. I, I don't know. No, I don't think Mitch has been quoted anywhere. I don't know where it's coming from, but that, that's not a great look. And I love the way Craig Conroy handled the question yesterday, both in his chat with you and in the main press conference. And... I, I listened to both those quotes a couple of times and, and walked away thinking, okay, you know, he's basically saying Mitch Love needs to be an assistant in the NHL. And I fully expect the Flames to offer him that opportunity. Now, when I say that he should be leery of it looking like he's just going to get out of town because he didn't get the job, and I'm sure there's some frustration there, I I wouldn't fault him for looking at an assistant job in another city, if he thinks there's a guy he can learn from, mm-hmm. if he thinks there's a better fit for him, that's fine. You know, Mitch Love has had so much success in the past two years that there's going to be a lot of people interested. But as the frustration sort of tapers off a little bit, I mean, isn't Mitch Love a terrific fit based on everything I know for the job that Ryan Huska was just doing to be running the defense and the penalty kill? I think I think he'd be a really good fit if if he's if he's cool taking that jump and and if he feels like staying in the Flames organization is the way to go. Like I, I, and maybe he wants to stay a head coach. Maybe staying in the American League is is what he wants to do because head coaching is really important to him. I guess I guess what I would say is I wouldn't really like I I, I wouldn't blame him for any of the three prongs that he might decide to decide to explore, whether it's getting a promotion and joining the Flames coaching staff, whether it's remaining with the Wranglers because head coaching is really important to him, or to do what you said, like maybe there is a job uh, with a more established NHL coach where he can be on an NHL bench and that can really help boost his profile and, and in his mind move him closer to an NHL head coaching job. I think I, I don't think that I would blame him for any of those three 
paths to go down. But to your point, if it's the path about leaving the organization just because you're frustrated, I don't know if that's the way to go about it either. Yeah, and I, I think especially when you can take a step back and say, and listen, they're all competitive guys. Of course, they all wanted the job. But when you can take a step back and say, the person who got the job was doing, like he was coaching the farm team five years ago. Yeah. And so the path is is pretty obvious. And, and you know, essentially Craig announced yesterday that he thinks Mitch is going to be a head coach in the NHL. He thinks he needs some, NHL seasoning remember this is a guy who's only 38 years old he's only been a head coach period for four years two in the Western Hockey League and two in the AHL and so you know I I I think the Flames would be wise to make him a really good offer to be an assistant coach because I think that's a guy that you want to keep in your organization and the only thing I would add is you know I I know that he was seriously considered and the one thing I wonder is I just talked about how I think Ryan Huska is, is a lot different than Daryl. And, and the one thing I wonder is was Mitch Love, whose intensity meter starts at 11, yeah. maybe yes. a little bit too tough? Was he maybe, did he have a reputation for being a little bit too demanding for what the flames are looking for in a departure from Daryl Sutter that that's something that I'm always going to wonder about how they ultimately made this decision because I bet those two are pretty close to neck and neck I, I wonder like could you do something where Ryan Husk is your head coach you bring in a Todd Reardon or a Travis Green, who we know were in the, the the final four for this job. Bring one of those two guys in as an associate. Mitch Love as an assistant. And then Kale and, and LaBarbera remain on the staff as well. And that's what your staff looks like next, next year. I don't think, like, if that, if that were to be the way it goes for the Flames, I think they'd be in really good shape. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't taken a ton of time to dig in on, on who Ryan surrounded himself with in the past you know I, I know I know it was Dominic Pittis and, and Todd Gill and Stockton but sort of before that I'm not entirely sure maybe there's a name that pops up there but that staff that you just talked about uh, you know in, in the with the importance of continuity and thinking what I, I think of, of those people and those coaches that you just mentioned Sounds like a pretty darn good staff to me. Yeah, be really interesting to see what that ends up playing uh, playing out as and how it ends up playing out in the next little bit. Uh, hey, get, go back to enjoying your day in PEI, hey? I, I will do that. And thank you for only partially questioning my commitment. And, only partially. Uh, also, also bailing me out when I... Uh, might have been choking on my tongue there so both both appreciated buddy <laughs> i've been there uh he's wes gilbertson <laughs> on twitter at wes gilbertson my name is pat steinberg cam and taylor have been our producers this hour and we're coming at you on flames talk from our doug lacy's basement systems downtown studio worried about radon they install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk to find out more visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate